Hello, this is episode 302 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Reilly. This episode is on what we become because of the scale. Why Zora New Hurston speaks to me and why not all black writers do, which is in relation to literacy. I had a lovely message from someone who's always writing the notes for his podcast. He was like, I'm worrying about you after the last one. Then you know I'm here for you. Like, thank you. And I just had another message from someone else. How are you? People never understand my motivations for doing things. It's always just about being true. I didn't record the podcast for any reason other than to reach the people who were still suffering like this daily. And for those around them to understand why. Now I'm ready to show up again for what I believe in. So maybe I can have less and less of these experiences And so the world really can be a different place and we can all stop measuring ourselves. So there's a collision between literacy assumptions and expectations for those with learning challenges and for those that we perceive as being minorities in education. And I'm going to focus on black writers because, as I've explained before, there are different threads to this story And in time, I would like to eventually honour all of them. But that requires a lot of reading and research and experiences and sitting with other people's truths rather than just, you know, making assumptions. So it's a journey that I'm on as well. But education comes with challenges for us all. And the institutions have abused us all in different ways. But it leaves the pain, the same pain, The differences are in the assumptions. It's the assumptions which do us all in. The ones we don't even realise we have. Even one of my heroes, Alice Walker, managed to upset me on this point. But I decided not to record a podcast about it then, to wait and to put it in context, to not move from a place of pain, to be able to fully step outside myself and, and see it in entirety for everybody. And that was in the book, We Are the Ones We've Been Waiting For. And there was a story, an extract in it called The Five Cubans. And in one sense, she outlines what not having literacy removes us from. It removes us from the contact with our families when we're in prison and we're unable to write to our children and reach our own children. But at the same time, she finishes the piece by being sweeping in that there's a sense that we can create 100% literacy in a country, which is never true. It depends what your perception of literacy is, and there will always be people who are still struggling in that and not meeting the mark, who are below average. That's why we have psychological assessments of children. And you always have to prove in those assessments that there's a gap between you being clever and your reading ability. You always have to be able to prove that you're not just too stupid to be able to read. And then she finishes up the piece by making a lot of assumptions on what is possible for people to do if they don't have literacy. My father's a very successful, content individual who left school unable to read and write, and still can't. 
And I'm going to talk a little bit at the end of this podcast about my concerns on the kind of Petra dish that we're forming around what you need to be to belong, what you need to be to be good enough, the legacy that's been left by the Voldemort that occupied the White House for four years. And so it's interesting, even the people that we really admire and we love their writing, and it speaks to us so much, can trip up sometimes in the assumptions. And another really interesting point, because I, I recorded a podcast a long time ago talking about the differences between Alice Walker and Maya Angelou. And I, I'm not sure that people still get what I'm talking about. And it's really difficult because I don't want to criticise Maya Angelou. And so I'm going to try and talk about that. I mean, trying to find a way to share that without sharing maybe so much of what I see. But I've noticed that there's two versions of material from Maya Angelou that shared. The one that white, closed people in the world share, that never quite reaches the soul. And the one that really open-hearted people share, which is completely different, and they actually choose to share it with me very often. I was reading these words she wrote on love and thinking of you. It's a poem called Touched by an Angel, which I'll include. And also later, another shared a piece that she wrote for the 50th anniversary of the UN, A Brave and Startling Truth. And I'll share a link for that too. And I've begun to think of it as if there's a Maya Angelou fork in the road. And one of them is the Oprah prong. And then there's the other one that speaks to me. And I think it really speaks to black people. Because they share it more. Because white people share the Oprah prong. And the people who move in an open-hearted, authentic way latch on to the other version. But it's really difficult because I can't judge the Oprah fork because it's the same scale that made it. It's the same assumptions and the same scale of judgment that has created it. It's palatable to white people because it's the impact of your construction. It speaks to you because somebody is becoming what you need them to be to be successful. And it's very hard to sit in poverty as a white person, but it's even harder to do that as a black woman. And Cecily Tyson really shows that in her biography, As I Am. And I shared that book with somebody recently who said that that came across really strongly to them. And I'm going to put a post in the description from Instagram, and, and I'm sorry, I can't read the name of the person whose post it is, but it was a post shared at the start of this sort of Black History Month, which I sort of like to love and hate equally. But it, it's a great post, which brings this to life in terms of cotton and the fashion industry. Have you ever thought about how everyone else made money from your clothes, except the people who pick the cotton, the black people? And so no wonder that in some ways we end up measuring ourselves on the scale and selling out parts of ourselves in order to be successful, to be palatable. And I cannot judge Maya Angelou for that, but I can judge you for what is palatable to you. I can judge you for what speaks to you and whether you really want to connect at a soul level or not whether you really want authentic. 
I can't judge people for not being authentic and for having to do the dance, but I can judge the system that creates that need. We were all measuring ourselves on the same scale, it just lands differently. And some of us can become what is needed, what is asked of us, while others never can. There's always a gap. We can't play the games or ever be good enough. And in my case, ever be literate enough. And so that's my reference point. That's my reference point for my truth to show up. And it's extraordinary that we all have school trauma. We all have the same pain. We all spend an extraordinary amount of time becoming different people. And it's so obvious to me. I can't unsee it. I can't unsee the judgments and the scales and the assumptions and rules. And so I have two modes of showing up. The one which shows up to meet people who are in my world, either because I'm working with them or they're close to me. And I'm very honest. There's no places to hide. There's no need to. You've come to hear my truth. I can be really open about who I am. I don't have to pretend to not be able to do things or to not be able to spell them or to hide what I think. And then there's the other one, which is the quietest person in the room. And I'm vulnerable because I don't have a place and I just sit there very quietly holding it all. And I learned to not talk because often when I speak, I speak to the gaps and it's not always the right time for this. It's like someone very close to me described me this week to me as a barometer for the gaps. And it's taken me a long time to learn how to to mediate that and when it's the right time to show the gaps. Because I just instinctively see them and talk to them. And it doesn't always go well. And sometimes I feel too vulnerable to be able to do it. And that's okay. So I just get quiet. Both are authentic to me, but in one you'll hear me speak and in the other you won't. I stay the same person. I talk if I'm meant to, but I'll stay back when I'm meant to do that too. But what I can't do is a performance or an imposing of me. I can't become a new person. I can't become a different truth. I just become a quieter one. And I couldn't do that change in school to become something different. And I still can't do it now. There are all these unspoken rules that everybody follows to become something different. And for me, Zora Neale Hurston really shows me this gap. And it's really interesting. I'm going to share a link to two books of hers. Their Eyes Were Watching God and Barracoon. And in The Eyes That Are Watching God, I realized that I read it from this place of reading these two voices and the content and the suffering, which is quite harrowing at times, which other people just sort of get so absorbed in that they can't actually hear what I'm talking about. They can't really read it from the place where there's one voice that's very elegant and polished, what you expect English to sound like on the page, and that's the voice that's put forward into the outside world. And then there's a voice in their head which doesn't sound polished and it has their accent and their way of speaking 
and it's not educated for the sake of it and it's not sterilized or changed it's not what it's expected to be to be able to speak and there's such a contrast between those two voices and for me often it's the voice of what I can do and what I can't do it's the voice that's in my head of reasoning and the voice that I've struggled to get down on the page. It's been that gap that I have to show in those psychological assessments. Only it's not based on intelligence. It's based on how my brain is constructed and whether it can do things that you expect of me. But so often that outer voice is the one that we need to become to belong, to be, to have a place in the room. We become a version of ourselves. And Octavia Butler speaks to me because she shows up all the gaps in the world over and over. She shows up all the games. And I didn't realize why. I didn't realize that she was the small child sitting in the classroom being judged too. I didn't realize till recently that her school report sounded just like mine. She had dyslexia and she struggled with literacy. And to read the comments on her reports are just like the ones I got. She even ended up with the same sort of phobia of red pen that I have. And so I'm going to share a link to another book I've just remembered. And it's um, a biography. I've been waiting a year for it to come out called Star Child. And I listened to it as an audio and it was really beautiful. It was, it put, it honoured her work. It put it in context to her life but it also put it in context to the history of the time so it was um it was a really extraordinary short concise beautiful book so i'll put a link into that as well and i'm sorry but i can't read the name of the author so how much harder is it for a black woman to arrive in that space your grandparents weren't allowed in the room your parents didn't get the opportunity and yet here you are you've been gifted something, you know, <laughs> from the gods almost, you know, people have decided you're deemed to be equal to be there, to be given the chance, and you can't meet the expectations or the assumptions. And this is the collision I mean. This is the differences in pain from the same scale. I worry endlessly about the tone that's been set by the person that I just called Voldemort. I worry about the measuring that's taking place. I worry about how many people need to be something better to be good enough, to be on the right side, to be a good person. I worry about how that equates to being educated to the extent that it's like it's not enough to be able to just read and write. You have to have gone to the right college and got the right piece of paper. I worry about the pain. I worry about the lack of self that he spoke to in so many people, the lack of core. All of his supporters simply don't feel good enough in one way or another. They all feel that education wasn't for them. They are all deeply insecure. And the more we make it about literacy to be a good person, there was so much packaged in that over and over, so much judgment over and over from people that it was his literacy that was at fault. It was his education. It was his abilities in that way. That that was what made him a bad person. 
it's so easy for people to speak to our pain and manipulate us. We have a long line of atrocities in the world because of that fact. Because of that tool almost that's used. And I most identify with Zora Neale Hurston's stubbornness to wait, to not edit, for us to hear the voice in his own words of the last surviving slave in America, in her book Barracoon. We would wait 87 years not to hear her voice, but to hear his, his way of telling his story. Not a white way, not a polished way, not an expected, educated way, his way. Because she was an anthropologist and she knew what that preserved. So how often do we really hear the true voice from people, even in the quiet, how many people stop pretending?